Welcome to Kingdom Testimonies. Today is Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. Uh, today we're in 2nd Baruch. We are about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way in, so making some headway. We were talking yesterday about the, uh, the vision, or the dream that Baruch had. Um, it was about the the dark waters and the bright waters, and he was going through the history of the Jewish nation, and we were on Moses. Yay, we like Moses. So let's start chapter 58. Oh, you know what? I put on yesterday's thing that we did. We did, yes, we did do chapter 58. We're starting with chapter 59. Okay, let me write that down. All right. And the bright fourth waters, which you have seen, are the advent of Moses and Aaron and Miriam and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb and all of those like them. For at that time the lamp of the eternal law shone on all those who sat in darkness, which announced to them that believe the promise of their reward and to them that deny the torment of fire which is reserved for them. But also the heavens at that time were shaken from their place. And those who were under the throne of the Mighty One were perturbed when he was taking Moses unto himself. Okay, we have to stop there. The heavens at that time were shaken from their place. And those who were under the throne of the, most, of the Mighty One were perturbed. Um, aren't those under the throne? Didn't he say earlier the ones under the throne of the Mighty One were the were the living creatures? And we were thinking those are the ones that have had the, you know, the faces. Let me grab my Bible here. <clears throat> the four faces. Okay, no, it's not. It's in Revelations. Not not Revelations. I mean Ezekiel. The when uh, and it it is the ones with the four faces. The the face of the uh, man, let's see, Ezekiel 1, 5. Also out of the midst therefore, thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. Okay, um, let me go back to Ezekiel 1, 1. 1, 2, the, okay, 1, 1, the heavens were opened. He was by the river Chibar. He looked in a whirlwind came out of the north. Out of the midst came the likeness of four living creatures. Baruch uses the term living creatures. Baruch knew of Ezekiel, or vice versa. I don't know who came first. But this is these are all the Old Testament great prophets. Okay, the living creatures had four faces and everyone had four wings. So picture a dragonfly that that, that has four faces. And feet, because their feet were straight. The sole was like a calf's foot. Uh, hands of a man under the wings on their four sides. So it's a four-sided creature. Okay, don't picture a dragonfly. Um, their wings were joined one to the other. They turned not when they went. So there's a four-sided flying creature with a wing on each side with the hands of a man and the feet of a calf's foot. As for the likeness of their faces, <clears throat> face of a man, face of a lion, 
face of an ox and a face of an eagle. Okay, uh, verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. I have to write down here these living creatures thing. Um, those under the throne were perturbed. Is this the living creatures of Ezekiel 1? Okay, and uh, out of the fire went forth lightning. So he's just talking about the torment of fire that's reserved for them. Now, as I, Ezekiel 1.15, as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. So these are apparently angelic beings that work with the onafem, onafem, I can never remember that word. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. These are the angels of the wheels. The onafem. I wish I could remember that word. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Because these wheeled angels, it starts with an O, they also hang out under the throne. I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels over against them and a noise of a great rushing. Apparently Ezekiel can't remember their name either. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting because... These are the ones that are under the throne. And in the, the verses of Baruch we read yesterday, let me look at that. Okay, it took me a little bit to find it, but it was in chapter 51, verse 11 for, from yesterday. For there shall be spread before them the extents of paradise. Okay, he's talking about the righteous that are... are uh, glorified remember we were talking about the celestial and the terrestrial yesterday or in the heights of that world shall they dwell and they shall be made like unto the angels and be made equal to the stars and they shall be changed into every form they desire from beauty into loveliness and from light into the splendor of glory for there shall be spread before them the extents of paradise and there shall be shown to them the beauty of the majesty of the living creatures which are beneath the throne and the armies of the angels who are now held fast by my word. Okay, they may stand in their places till their advent comes. Um, so let's go to where we're at talking about Moses, all right? Chapter 59 of today's. And the bright fourth waters which you have seen are the advent of Moses and Aaron and Miriam and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb. And all of those like them. So this is after they have left Egypt, after they've received the law, after the time when Moses was on the mountain and they were going into the promised land. Verse 2, For at that time the lamp of the eternal law shone, all, shone on all those who sat in darkness. The lamp of the eternal law. Okay, the law hasn't been done away with, which announced to them that believe the promise of their reward and to them that deny the torment of fire, which is reserved for them. 
but also the heavens at that time were shaken from their place. And that's what I want to focus on. Uh, in the book of Revelations, it says that the heavens will be shaken from their place. Is this, is this like something we're going to actually see? Because the heavens were shaken from their place before. And those who were under the throne of the mighty one were perturbed when he was taking Moses unto himself. So Moses was being removed from the earth. Was Moses the last, mm, let's say, pure one before uh, Jesus? Moses and Elijah were at the Mount of Transfiguration. So what about Elijah? Well, Elijah was taken alive. Moses died. But, but it says here he was taking Moses unto himself, but the Bible says Moses died. So I don't know. Moses and Elijah appeared alive. Moses and Elijah are likely the, uh, well, alive in transfigured bodies. Uh, Moses and Elijah are likely the two witnesses. So did Moses die? They were, they were arguing over the body of Moses. I remember reading that. But was his body dead dead? Like we would say dead. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. For he showed him many admonitions together with the principles of the law and the consummation of the times as also to you, and likewise the pattern of Zion and its measures, and the pattern of which the sanctuary of the present time was to be made. So Moses saw the heavenly Jerusalem and Zion, so he knew exactly what the pattern of the earthly temple would be. Yes, God described it, but in such detail Moses relayed what it was to look like. It's almost as if God was describing it to Moses as he's looking at it, and then Moses was able to write that down. Okay, uh, where are we? Let's see. In the pattern of the sanctuary present time. But then he also he showed to him the measures of the fire, also the depths of the abyss, and the weight of the winds, and the number of the drops of rain. Remember when Moses came back, his face was lit up. It shone. So he saw more than just the heavenly temple. He saw, I would venture to say, a lot of the things that Enoch saw. Okay, he saw the suppression of anger, the multitude of long-suffering, and the truth of judgment, and the root of wisdom, and the riches of understanding, and the fount of knowledge, and the height of the air, and the greatness of paradise, and the consummation of the ages and the beginning of the day of judgment. Moses saw this. And the number of the offerings and the earths which have not yet come, and the mouth of Gehenna, and the station of vengeance, and the place of faith, and the region of hope, and the likeness of future torment, and the multitude of innumerable angels, and the flaming hosts, and the splendor of the lightnings, and the voice of the thunders, and the orders of the chiefs of the angels, and the treasuries of light, and the changes of the times, and the investigations of the law. 
These are the bright fourth waters which you have seen. So Moses saw all the flaming host, everything of heaven. He saw the treasuries of light. All of that was reflected in Moses' face. He saw everything that was under the throne, and that is what shook the heavens. Those under the throne were perturbed. What does that word perturbed mean? To us in English language, it might mean frustrated, a little angered, annoyed. But in this language, perturbed, I'm thinking you have to look at that middle part, turb, like turbulent. It shook everything up up there. Here comes another man looking at everything. But when Enoch saw it, <clears throat> it was at pretty much the beginning of time. When Moses saw it, it was well into um, after the flood. You know, so uh, on, a, on an evil world, they're probably like, wait a minute. There is a man from after the flood that is after the pure bloodline of Noah, but I'm thinking Moses is in <clears throat> that Shem. I can't remember who it was. Yes, Shem in his bloodline. And so here is this fully man, not born pure, that not that we're shown, uh, standing up there and looking at all of this. It had to have really shook things up. So what is the next thing that's going to shake the heavens from their place? Is that when the righteous on the earth living today are glorified? Could that be what shakes the heavens from their place? Because that's in the middle of the first of the great tribulation, the, the first part, the, the judgment years, the first three and a half years. That happens at some point. That's very interesting to me. All right, that's all of chapter 59. Um, <clears throat> so we didn't get far, but that's, that's crazy to me. The heavens were shaken from their place when Moses was shown all of this. What is it that the glorified ones are going to see? That's my question. Okay, chapter 60. I'm going to plug my phone in. All right. And the black fifth waters, which you have seen raining, are the works which the Amorites wrought, and the spells of their incantations which they wrought, and the wickedness of their mysteries, and the mingling of their pollution. Remember, all the ites are experiments of the Nephilim trying to come back. They were all, they were all killed during the flood, Noah's flood. But they they have they left their secrets behind with Nimrod and all of these works were found and we'll read that in another book but <clears throat> all of these works were found i believe that's in Jasher um and one of Noah's evil sons i remember if it was Ham or Japheth found the book of secrets and was able to work antimony. That was one of the secrets that the fallen angels showed the women. 
was how to work with with mixing mixture mixing of um metals and you know all of the evil things that we have going on today so the black fifth waters are the works of the amorites the hittites the jebusites all of the ites are offspring um remember that's where god told joshua and caleb to go in and to kill all of the ites because these are the ones that had mingled their seed <clears throat> okay the minglings of their pollution but even Israel was then polluted by sins in the days of the judges, though they saw many sins which were from him who made them. Chapter 61, and the bright six waters, which through did see, this is the time in which David and Solomon were born. And there was at that time the building of Zion and the dedication of the sanctuary and the shedding of much blood of the nations that sinned then. And many offerings which were offered then in the dedication of the sanctuary, and peace and tranquility existed at that time. And wisdom was heard in the assembly, and the riches of understanding were magnified in the congregations. And the holy festivals were fulfilled in blessedness and in much joy, and the judgment of the rulers was then seen to be without guile. And the righteousness of the precepts of the Mighty One was accomplished with truth in the land which was then beloved by the Lord. And because its inhabitants sinned not, it was glorified beyond all lands. And the city Zion ruled then over all lands and regions. These are the bright waters which you have seen. Okay, so the time of David and Solomon was a bright time. So it's going back and forth, back and forth. Chapter 62, the black seventh waters, which you have seen, this is the perversion by the council of Jeroboam, who took counsel to make two calves of gold. And all the iniquities which kings who were after him iniquitously wrought. I'm going to try and say that again. And the curse of Jezebel and the worship of idols, which Israel produced at that time. And the withholding of rain and the famines, which occurred until women eat the fruit of their wombs, yuck, in the time of their captivity, which came upon the nine tribes and a half, because they were in many sins. And Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came and led them away captive. But regarding the Gentiles, it were, it were tedious to tell how they always wrought impiety and wickedness and never wrought righteousness. These are the black seventh waters which you have seen. Interesting here in verse 7, he says the Gentiles, um, they always wrought wickedness and they never wrought righteousness. Remember back uh, that they were given in the king's days and, and after Moses. It was told to the Israelites that they could accept in, not the ites, but Gentiles. And there was, it's in like Deuteronomy or Leviticus, where if, uh, if a Gentile were to attach themselves to the Israelite nation, they were allowed, remember the women that they went and took from other nations? They were allowed to absorb them into their nation, and they wouldn't become pure Israelites in the human, natural, bloodline sense of the word, but they were allowed 
in. So it wasn't just the New Testament where Gentiles were allowed into the chosen people of the Israelites. So that's very interesting. Um, uh, chapter 63, in the bright eighth waters, which you have seen, this is the rectitude and uprightness of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and the grace of God which came upon him. For when Sennacherib was stirred up in order that he might perish, and his wrath troubled him in order that he might thereby perish, for the multitude also of the nations which were with him. When moreover Hezekiah the king heard those things which the king of Assyria was devising, to come and seize him and destroy his people, the two and a half tribes which remained, nay more he wished to overthrow Zion also, then Hezekiah trusted in his works and had hope in his righteousness and spoke with the mighty one and said, Behold, for lo, Sennacherib is prepared to destroy us. And he will be boastful and uplifted which he, when he has destroyed Zion. And the mighty one heard him, for Hezekiah was wise, and he had respect unto his prayer, because he was righteous. Uh, my notes, I have two, Second Kings 19.35. <clears throat> and thereupon the mighty one commanded Remiel, his angel, who speaks with you. And I went forth and destroyed their multitude. So the same angel... Who's, who's explaining to um, Baruch the meaning of these of this vision is the one that was sent to Hezekiah. He's probably straightening his tie and standing a little straighter at that moment. And I went forth and destroyed their multitude, the number of whose chiefs only was 185,000, and each one of them had an equal number at his command. And at that time I burned their bodies within... You, but their raiment and arms I preserved outwardly in order that the still more wonderful deeds of the mighty one might appear and that thereby his name might be spoken of throughout the whole earth. That's crazy. So in this army, their bodies were burned, but their raiment, so whatever they were wearing, they, they wore into war, and their arms were not touched. That's crazy. Wow, they had to have talked about that for a long time. And Zion was saved and Jerusalem delivered. Israel also was freed from tribulation. This is all because of Hezekiah's prayer. And all those who were in the holy land rejoiced. And the name of the mighty one was glorified so that it was spoken of. These are the bright waters which you have seen. Chapter 64, the black ninth waters, which you have seen. This is all the wickedness, which was in the days of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. For he wrought much impiety, and he slew the righteous, and he wrestled, wrested judgment, and he shed the blood of the innocent, and wedded women he violently polluted, and he overturned the altars, and destroyed their offerings, and drove forth their priests, lest they should minister in the sanctuary. He's not a, not a good person. And he made an image with five faces. Four of them looked to the four winds, and the fifth on the summit of the image was an adversary of the zeal of the mighty one. Whoa! This one looked up to the sky. And then wrath went forth from the presence. God had to look down at that. What? And then wrath went forth from the presence of the Mighty One to the intent that Zion should be rooted out, as also it befell in your days. 
but also against the two tribes and a half, went forth a decree that they should also be led away captive, as you have now seen. And to such a degree did the impiety of Manasseh increase, that it removed the praise of the Most High from the sanctuary. On this account, Manasseh was at that time named the impious, and finally his abode was in the fire. For though his prayer was heard with the Most High, finally, when he was cast into the brazen horse, and the brazen horse was melted, it served as a sign unto him for the hour. For he had not lived perfectly, for he was not worthy. But that thenceforward he might know by whom finally he should be tormented. For he who is able to benefit is also able to torment. Verse 8 says, Though his prayer was heard, finally when he was cast in the brazen horse so there's that um that prayer that if you cry out to god after a, living your whole entire life in evil ways it, it he's looking at your heart we can't determine whether or not you know they were truly saved at the last that that's something we can't determine Chapter 65, thus moreover did Manasseh act impiously and thought that in his time the mighty one would not inquire into these things. These are the black ninth waters which you have seen. Okay, chapter 66. And the bright tenth waters which you have seen, this is the purity of the generations of Josiah king of Judah who was the only one at the time who submitted himself to the Mighty One with all his heart and with all his soul. And he cleansed the land from idols and hallowed all the vessels which had been polluted and restored the offerings to the altar and raised the horn of the holy and exalted the righteous and honored all that were wise in understanding and brought back the priests to their ministry and destroyed and removed the magicians and enchanters and necromancers from the land. This is Josiah. And not only did he slay the impious that were living, but they also took from the sepulchres the bones of the dead and burned them with fire. And the festivals and the Sabbaths he established in their sanctity, and their polluted ones he burnt in the fire, and the lying prophets which deceived the people, these also he burnt in the fire, and the people who listened to them when they were living, he cast them into the brook Kidron and heaped stones upon them. Oh, zeal for the Lord here. Oh, yep. <laughs> I didn't see this, I swear. And he was zealous with zeal for the mighty one with all his soul, for he alone was firm in the law at that time, so that he left none that was uncircumcised or that wrought impiety in the land all the days of his life. Therefore he shall receive an eternal reward, and he shall be glorified with the mighty one beyond many at a later time. For on his account and on account of those who are like him were the honorable glories of which you were told before, created and prepared. These are the bright waters which you have seen. That's the bright tenth waters. Chapter 67, and the black eleventh waters which you have seen. This is the calamity which is now befalling Zion. Do you think that there is no anguish to the angels in the presence of the Mighty One, that Zion was so delivered up, and that, lo, the Gentiles boast in their hearts and assembles before their, assemble before their idols and say, she is trodden down, who oftentimes trod down, and she has been reduced to servitude, who reduced others. Dost you think that in these things the Most High rejoices, or that his name is glorified? 
but how will it serve towards his righteous judgment? Yet after these things shall the dispersed among the Gentiles be taken hold of by tribulation, and in shame they shall dwell in every place. Because so far as Zion is delivered up and Jerusalem laid waste, shall idols prosper in the cities of the Gentiles. And the vapor of the smoke of the incense of the righteousness, which is by the law, is extinguished in Zion, and in the region of Zion, in every place, lo, there is the smoke of impiety. But the king of Babylon will arise, who has now destroyed Zion, and he will boast over the people, and he will speak great things in his heart, in the presence of the Most High. But he also shall fall at last. These are the black waters. That's the eleventh black waters. Now we're coming to the bright twelfth waters. This, of course, is the time of Jesus. Um, it's quite, quite, not lengthy, but it's, a, it's long about that. And it talks about the time of Jesus. So we're going to stop there. Um, chapter 67 is what we got through. Um, <clears throat> so we're doing about eight chapters a day now because they're a little longer so yeah we're going to pick up with the final bright 12th waters it says this is the word uh, remember john 1 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us okay so with the one minute we have left let's just look at that john 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Baruch also, more so than Enoch, is talking about the light, how... how these righteous ones in the end times, in the tribulation days, great tribulation days, become beings of light. Where do they get that from? From Jesus. So he has to come first. Verse 5, And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So this is what we're talking about here, is John 1, 5. This is the light shining in darkness. That's the age that we've been in for the last 2,000 years. Okay, and then it talks about John the Baptist coming as a witness to bear witness of the light. John was not the light. He was sent to bear witness of the light. But verse 9, that was the true light, Jesus, which lighteth every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. When you're born again, you don't automatically become a son of God. There is a process to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us in the glory of the only begotten of Father, full of grace and truth. So that's a, a concept we need to we need to um, understand is that when you're born again, you become a servant. You become a follower. 
A servant is someone who follows their master and has to prove that they are worthy of an inheritance like an adopted son. So I think of like the um, slave days, a terrible, terrible mark on American history and other countries in the world that took the black people, <clears throat> African people, and made them slaves. But there's stories that have come out of the slave time, and I apologize to any black people that I may be offending with my terminology. I'm not political. Um, so any of those from the African nations, which Africa was originally the part of biblical days. So not us. We weren't. We're just an afterthought. Um, but in America at those times, there was some that there was some that didn't want to leave. Just like in the Bible times, there were slaves that just they didn't want to leave. They became bond servants. They were treated re really well by their masters, and it's interesting because Jesus describes our servanthood, or God describes our servanthood to Him and to the Son as servants, as bond servants, and they would actually put like a hole in the earlobe and attach a chain to themselves, to their master. That was a bond servant. And you can't get into the inheritance part of being called a child, a son of God, a child of God, daughter of God, whatever. Um, the terminology is a son of God because God is male. He's, Jesus was made in his image, so he's male. Um, and that's just for us. It's not for all time, you know, in the spiritual realm. Okay, so I don't want to get off track here. But you can't become a son as an inheritor of the kingdom until first you are a bond servant. You have to prove yourself. And then a bond servant will be obedient and trustworthy and then becomes a friend then you become a friend of God because he can trust you and then you become an inheritor a son a daughter a child a son of God so and these are the ones that I believe are the righteous now there's paradise, as we found out, holds those who are on this journey. When you die, that, that journey, if, as long as you make it to paradise, that journey continues to, through the levels of heaven. And that's my understanding of all the prophetic works that I've read and what the Lord has showed me and the Bible, of course, which I've studied for many, many decades. Well, no, I'm not ancient. Three and a half decades. So anyway, not I'm not bragging. I'm just saying this is what has continually, continuously been the message that the Father has shown me is that your journey in him never stops. But on earth you want to get as far as you can. If you can get to the inheritance part, then you are considered in with the righteous remnant and 
Therefore, you are working to become the bride of Christ. You are laboring to enter the rest. And the rest that you labor to enter into on the seventh day, I believe, is being called part of the bride of Christ. Now, remember the body of Christ. Um, when Adam and Eve became one, it was bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And that's what it's like when you're in a marriage union, the two become one. So the bride becomes part of the body. It goes the rib becoming back into part of Adam. The bride becomes part of the body of the groom. So the body of Christ, those are the bride. We, in the congregation in the churches today, they say that's, you know, <clears throat> the body of Christ. And in the Catholic church, which I used to be Catholic when I was young, before I got saved, they, when they give you the Eucharist, they would say the body of Christ. And they give you the wine, they'd say the, the chalice, they'd say the blood of Christ. You know, it's, it's, that's not what it is. I know they're modeling it after John chapter 6. But it's so much deeper than that. That's very surface level. Okay, um, I'm going to stop rambling there and I'm going to let you go. And until tomorrow, when we pick up second Baruch again, I pray you have a blessed day.